chapter number one. It's always a joy to be here at the Preachers of Grace conference, and it's a special privilege to be able to preach in this conference. I would come whether I was preaching or not, but we're grateful for the opportunity to share the Word of God. And since I was asked to preach, I was sure to wear my white shirt and a tie. And uh, I know that's the standard anywhere Brother Harold is, so hopefully we are dressed to, to the part. But, and there's a good story we could tell about deer hunting, but we'll save that for another time. You can ask Harold about when he came down and visited us during a meeting, and he had a smart aleck comment about deer hunting. <clears throat> He'll be sure to share that with you. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to have already worshiped together with God's people. And as we continue, may the Lord bless and help us in this meeting. If you found your place, I'll ask you to stand and we'll reverence the word of God. John chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Father, we bow in your presence again. We thank you for the word of God. May you help us as we preach it. Lord, we pray, fill us with the Spirit of God. Empty us of ourselves. Help us to be clothed in humility. Lord, you resist the proud, you give grace to the humble, Lord, help us in this hour, and we pray that, Lord, you'd help us to preach, Lord, not to make a name for ourselves, but to the end, your name would be exalted, your people would be edified, and sinners might repent and believe the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach on this thought tonight, Uh, couldn't think of a better subject or topic to start a conference like this, than to just preach on the subject of Jesus. And the title of our message is, Behold His Glory. Behold His Glory. And when we come to the Gospel of John, we're very well aware of the writer of this Gospel, who by inspiration presents for us in very vivid detail uh, and uh, specific detail Uh, different from the synoptic gospels of the deity of Christ. And he presents the Lord Jesus in his deity as the Son of God. And we are made aware of that from the opening verses of this gospel. In chapter 1, he starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And from there, he's going to continue to just drop one bomb after another bomb that is declaring, it is exclaiming the glory of God, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. 
And I've got just a few thoughts from these verses I want to share with you here this evening. Number one, I want us to notice the presentation of His glory. The presentation of His glory. And when I think about the presentation of His glory, I think about the revelation of His glory. I think about how He is revealed in the Scripture. And it is in the Scripture that we see the glory of God revealed. I also think about the representation of His glory and how that He is the image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us that Christ is that second person of the triune God in flesh. And we are going to, only way we are going to know God is by knowing Christ. And then I thought about how the radiance of His glory is thought about in the presentation. Uh, We think about that radiance and how that it is the shining forth, uh, if you will, the effulgence of God. And uh, think about His eternal and excellence, uh, or excellent essence that we see in this. And when you come to the first chapter of John, as well as the first chapter of all four Gospels, We understand that some 400 years have passed. There's been nothing but darkness and obscurity and silence. And then comes Jesus Christ bursting on the pages of history, impacting time and eternity. And all of a sudden we are met with these words. And can you imagine the words of John here as he begins to pen this? And these were the thoughts of those early disciples and followers of Christ. And even those who were there whenever he was brought and dedicated in the temple these thoughts that here is God in the flesh. As we think about the presentation of His glory, I think about that manifestation of it. We see it in verses 1 through 5. And in these five verses, there is the manifestation of His glory. We see His essence in verse 1. Notice in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see the essence of this manifestation. That Jesus Christ is God. That He is from everlasting to everlasting. He never had a beginning and He'll never have an end. Though He was born contrary to the laws of nature, He did not have a man, an earthly man, for a father. And He is the God-man, the man, Christ Jesus. 100% God and 100% man. And He is worthy of our worship tonight because of the glory of His essence. I think about we see also manifested here His eternity. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. And I like that statement because it paints for us a very vivid picture. You and I, we think in terms of time. And whenever you see the words in the beginning, you go back as far as we possibly can in our minds to the beginning of human history, to the beginning of creative history. But that's as far back as our minds can go. But the Bible says that He was there in the beginning, but He was with 
God. And we know that God is not bound by time, that God is eternal, and that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were the triune Godhead, co-equal, in perfect unity, righteousness, perfection, and holiness before anything was created. There is Christ within the Godhead, enjoying the eternal love and fellowship of the triune God. We see His eternality. We also see manifested His efficacy. I think about His effectual ability to bring out of nothing everything. And in verse 3, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the maker of all things. And He didn't have anything to start with. He brought out of nothing everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that we observe, everything that science is able to look upon, everything that history is able to point to, everything that that that, uh, mathematics is able to calculate. It all had its beginning with Him. We see that manifest in His glory. We don't have time to develop all of this, but I thought about His excellency in verse 4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of the world. The excellency of Christ is this, that He has life. We think about the very words of Christ later in His ministry when He declared, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe upon Me, ye shall have everlasting life. And thank God He is the resurrection. He is the giver of life. And without Him, there is none. I think about the effulgence that is manifested in His glory. Verse number 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The word effulgence just means to shine out from another. And He is that eternal light that shines out into the darkness. Thank God for the day that He came to where I was, where I was bound in my chains of sin. I was in darkness. I was in bondage. I was on my way to hell. And so were you, dear friend. But the light of the glorious gospel came shining into your darkened heart. And it set your soul ablaze by the grace and the mercy of God. And you saw His glory manifested. We see the manifestation of His glory. But I also want to talk for a moment about the meaning of glory. If we are to behold His glory, then we must know what His glory is. What is the glory of God? Well, There's several words in our Bible, glory. You go to the Old Testament, there's a couple of Hebrew words, but the most significant one is kolbald, if I'm saying that right. It means the heavy or the weighty presence of God. carries the idea of a heavy, weighty honor or splendor. And it speaks of that honor and that splendor, which is pointing to the very character and nature of God. It is the heavy, weighty presence of God that Moses felt when he was on top of Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God. And you'll remember there that Moses asked God to show him His glory. And he told him, no man can look upon my face and live. 
but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will make my glory to go by you. And, and basically he was saying, you can't look upon me, but I'll let you see the vapor trail as it goes by. And in that, I'll let you get a glimpse, a small glimpse of my glory. You'll remember in verse 11 of that chapter, and the Lord spake with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about the face of God. We are talking about looking into the very attributes and the personality and the characteristics that make up who God is and how He deals with His people. And then we find in Exodus 34, after He has told Moses He'll put him in the cleft of the rock and He begins to give him these commandments. The Bible says in verse 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. Here the Lord is preaching His own sermon. I would have liked to have been there in the cleft of the rock with Moses. I'm telling you, God did a far better job of preaching His glory that day than I'll do tonight. But I'll give it my best shot. But as His glory passed by, He said there that He proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste. And notice what this message of glory did to Moses. It left him on his face, bowed down before Jehovah God, worshiping Him. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. I'm going to simply say to us tonight, if God will give us just a little glimpse in beholding His glory, it will put man where we deserve to be. And that's on our face worshiping a thrice holy God. And it will put God where He has the right to be. And that is in our hearts upon the throne where He already sits and Him exalted in all of His glory, His splendor, and His majesty. Oh, thank God for this. Revelation given to Moses that you and I can get a glimpse into. He says, I am the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, Jehovah, the self-existent One, the One who is in need of nothing from anybody to sustain Him, but has all power in heaven and in earth. He is the Lord God, Elohim, Almighty, the One that has the ability and the power to do whatsoever He pleases without asking permission from you and I. He is merciful. Aren't you glad for His mercy tonight? Oh, He's gracious. Aren't you glad for His grace? If we're not careful, we can become so familiar as preachers of grace with the grace and the mercy of God that it, it becomes numb to us. It doesn't have an effect upon us. Well, I don't know about you. I don't want to get over His mercy. I don't want to get beyond His grace. I want to be able on the last day of my life on this earth to be able to sing with all of my heart uh, with the songwriter John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, we could go on and on, but this is that glory. So in the Hebrew, the glory of God was the 
was, was all the divine attributes of God. And whatever characterizes the nature of deity also characterizes the nature of Jesus Christ. For He is God in the flesh. When you come to the New Testament, you find the word most often used, and there is another word, but most often used for glory is the Greek word doxa. means dignity. Glory or glorious honor means praise. It means worship. A doxa comes from a Greek root word, dikeo, which uh, is the word that means to thank. And so doxa really is the idea to thank upon glory. To thank upon glory. So when you see this word here, we beheld His glory in the New Testament. It is meaning to give glory or praise to God as a result of thanking upon Him. When was the last time in your morning meditation you didn't just rush in, read your scripture, say your prayer, and rush out, but you waited in God's presence and you thought about Him, and you thought upon Him, and you allowed time for the Lord of glory to visit with you. That's what doxa here is. That's the glory. We beheld His glory. Now there are several different ways we use the word glory. We can use it in the sense of hallelujah glory. You ever had any hallelujah glory? I've been in some meetings where I've felt some hallelujah glory in my soul. You say, preacher, that's Pentecostal. Call it whatever you want. I just call it being filled with the Holy Ghost. I just call it believing the Bible. And uh, I'm glad when the God of heaven starts uh, poking around in my heart and stirring in my soul, and all of a sudden he gets a whole lot bigger than I thought he was. Hallelujah glory which is to have a high opinion or a high view of one resulting in praise, adoration, and worship. Listen to me. We don't need to let the Pentecostal crowd rob us of biblical worship. We don't need to let them rob us of raising our voices in praise and adoration to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. We believe in the true and the living God. We believe we have the right gospel. Beloved, we ought to lift our voices in praise unto Him and worship Him. There is a hallelujah glory. There's also a holy glory. And that is that shining forth of the magnificence and the eternal attributes and characteristics of God. It is seen through the Word of God. It is hearing from the preached Word of God, or even in the songs that magnify God, His attributes. It is hearing and seeing through the eyes of faith, His splendor, His brightness, His radiance. It is a holy glory. That is the glory that surrounds Jesus even now. And that's why God told Moses, no man can look upon me and live. Because we can't handle all of the glory and the holy attributes of God in their purest form. That's why God had to robe His Son in human flesh for us to behold Him. We couldn't have beheld Him in His eternal state. There's heavenly glory. And praise God, that's that glorious condition, that exalted state of being. It is the exalted and enthroned state that Christ is in right now in heaven. There is glory around His majesty and around His throne. And there are angels there that are doing His bidding. And there are saints there that are worshiping Him around the throne. And that is a heavenly glory. 
thought about how you probably all heard the old hymn. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And here's the reason. When we all see Jesus, we're going to sing and shout the victory. That's heavenly glory, friend. That glory. One man defined glory this way. He said, the glory of Jesus is the sum total of all his attributes and deeds which distinguishes him and separates him from all other beings. Another man said this, anything that awakens within us the presence of God is the glory of God. You ever been sitting just reading the Bible? Nothing nothing special particularly happening in that moment. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God makes something in the Word of God real to your heart. And you're made aware in that moment of the very presence of God. Well, that's the glory of God. And I know it ain't like that every time we meet together. It's not like that every time we have a worship service. I wish it was. It's something you can't manufacture. And that's where a lot of the problem in our churches is. We're trying to manufacture it. It's something you have to wait on. It's something you pray for, and it's something only God can give. But thank God when He gives it, it's real. That's the meaning of glory. Number three, the magnitude of His glory. I see in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we, I love this phrase, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, I'm not sure... We all fully aware are aware of the magnitude of that statement. Think about it. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And I know that here this is John giving reference of what they beheld. I know here in the immediate context, John the Baptist is being referenced. He was the original backwoods Baptist. Came in camel's hair, eating wild honey and locusts. And uh, here he's being made reference to, he beheld his glory on the banks of Jordan that day as he was baptizing. And he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I understand that, but let me say to you, you and I have beheld his glory. If you are saved by the grace of God, there's a day in your life when through the preaching of the gospel and through faith in Jesus Christ, you beheld His glory. Thank God, what what an amazing statement here. I see the privilege of it. We beheld. I mean, I think about this. Who are you and I to behold the glory of God? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 8, 3 and 4, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what, and not even who is man, but what is man? What is this puny, pathetic, created creature that at one time was created in the image of God, to the glory of God, but in his fallen state, how marred he has become. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou wouldst visit him. He's made us lower than the angels, and yet he has crowned us with glory and with honor. Who are you and I? Oh, the privilege that God would allow us to behold His glory. I think about what God has to say about even His own creation. Whenever He is creating 
the earth and the, the moon and the sun and all that's in the earth during the six days of creation in Genesis 1, 16. It's amazing that he speaks about all those stars he created with this just, this, just this one passing phrase. He says this, and he made the stars also. Why would he make a statement like that? Because the crowning jewel of his creation was on the earth. And it was in the form of Adam and Eve. And that's the value that God placed on his creation. That which was created in his image. And yet in Adam all men die. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all rebels in our heart. We're all alienated from God. We're all his enemies by wicked works. We're bent in rebellion against God. We're fighting Him with everything we have when we come into this world. And yet God allows us to be the recipients of His grace and the beholders of His glory. What a privilege. I see the privilege of this. I see the praise in it. His glory. We beheld His glory. Not just glory in general or the glory of the sunrise or the sunset. This isn't just speaking of the, the glorious landscape of some beautiful mountain scene or, or uh, being by the ocean and, and watching the waves crash upon the sand. That, 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 the beautiful landscapes that God has created, not the, the glory even of the heavens and the stars and the constellations and the galaxies and all that is, that is out there. Not even the glory of seeing your child born and brought into this world but the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And what praise should that erupt in us that we've beheld the only begotten of the Father. He is the only one of His kind. There's not another one like Him. The Son of God. Let me move on. We see here the presentation of His glory, but number two, the preeminence of His glory. And I want to give us here tonight just a fourfold description of things that we find right here in this text that distinguishes our Lord from any other that's ever been. That makes Him preeminent above all others. Number one, His person makes Him preeminent. Who He is. Who He is. The Bible says the Word was made flesh. And the Word was made flesh. Let me just say we find here the divine logos, the divine word, Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he is not just some cosmic principle, but he is the consummate person of creation. All things were made by him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. Colossians tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. And that without Him, this earth would cease to exist. It would blow in a billion different directions. But He's holding all of it together by the word of His power. His person makes Him preeminent. Hebrews 1 says He's the express image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 says He is the image of the invisible God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And let me just say, there is not another like Him. He's different in his language. You remember what they said about him while he was on earth? Never spake a man like this man. 
He is different in his language. And I'm glad he knows how to speak to me in a language that I understand. And I'm glad he knows how to speak to those that, that speak Spanish in a language they understand. Those in India that are speaking Hindu or Telugu, he knows how to speak to them in a language that they understand. Aren't you glad he knows the language of the heart? And he's able to pull upon the strings and the heart cords and get you exactly where you needed to be to save you. And since then, to guide you and to lead you. He's different in his language. He's different in his learning. The Bible tells us that when he was 12 years old, he taught the doctors of theology. Mom and dad lost him. He's back at the temple giving all of them a good school lesson. And they're just scratching their head and marveling as he begins to teach them the truths of the Scripture. He was different in his love. Never a man loved like this man. He sits with publicans and with sinners. He is a wine-bibber and a glutton. No, he just loves sinners. And I'm glad he loves sinners. Why, preacher? Because I am a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And I fall short of the glory of God every day and I fail Him from moment to moment and I'm ashamed so often of myself. But I'm glad in Him I've never found a single thing to be ashamed of. He's a faithful God. He loves like no one else ever loved. His person makes Him preeminent. The Mormons, they might boast of Joseph, but I'm glad there's one greater amongst us than him, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the Catholics, they may boast of their Pope and go kiss his big toe every now and then, but I'm glad there's one greater among us, and that is Jesus Christ. Oh, the Buddhists can go rub that fat man's belly and throw a penny on him at the Chinese restaurant, but there is one greater amongst us, one who conquered grave, conquered death, and conquered the hell, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Muslims may boast of Muhammad whose bones still buried in a grave somewhere, but thank God there's one amongst us that's greater than him, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is preeminent in his person. Let me say he's also preeminent in his prerogatives. I'm glad he has the prerogative to do things tonight that no other man has the prerogative to do. The Bible said he was made flesh. He, he was, did you catch that? He was made flesh. Man does not have the prerogative to be made God. We might think we can be God, but we're not. We're just little G-gods running around trying to worship ourselves and do our own thing. But he had the prerogative to be made man. Thank God he did what no one else could do. He accomplished it. He could be God, very God of very God, but he could also be man, very man of very man. And thank God for the hypostatic union of Christ. I don't understand it. If you do, explain it to me after the service. I'd love to get your take. But how God being God can remain God and not cease to be God at all, yet become man and be fully man without ceasing to be man and ceasing to be God. He's fully God and fully man. The God-man, Christ Jesus. That's enough to really mess you up right there. We don't have that prerogative, but he does. This is the problem with all the false religions in the world. They're trying to make men, fleshly men, carnal men, sinful men, and elevate them to the level of deity. That's what Mormons teach. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe he was a man that became God and that there's a certain number of them that's going to become God. Jehovah's Witness is the same way. It's the same problem with Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes and all them other men that are getting rich off the backs of 
or off the back of Christianity. Let me just say there's power in the world. There's evil power. There's demonic power. There's nothing new about knocking people over with an invisible force. They've been doing that in jungles for years. Thank God greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving not our life unto death. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We're not going to overcome by the arm of the flesh, but thank God we're mighty through God, through God, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. But listen, they think they're going to become God. And I heard one man say it like this, They are not, nor shall ever or shall they ever be a big G God, a little G God, or even an itsy bitsy teensy weensy God? Only he has that prerogative. And I'm glad he does. And when I look at him, I behold in his glory the preeminence of his person, the preeminence of his prerogative. Because he has that prerogative, don't you think he's worthy of our worship? Don't you think he's worthy of our praise and adoration when we come together? Listen, I'm not talking about a cheerleading service. We're not, we're not to get up here and like cheerleaders at a high school game, give me a J, give me an E. But we are to magnify him and exalt him through devotion and worship that's worthy of his holy name. Let me say this, he's also preeminent in his preferment. Bible says he is preferred. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John is saying he has the seniority. He, he, he's been here a lot longer than I have. And not only does he have seniority, he has superiority. He's greater than I am. And John said, he would go on to say, I, I must decrease so that he might increase. That was his attitude. Oh, that's what I want my attitude to be. Less about me, more about him. That's what our churches should desire to have as an all-around attitude. That ought to be the atmosphere of our worship service. Less of us, more of him. Get us out of the way. And let's magnify the Lamb of God who is worthy. Oh, when I'm in the company of God's people, I want to point to Jesus. I'm thankful for men that have pointed me to Christ throughout my Christian experience. Men that have not tried to put the light upon themselves, but put it upon Christ and make much of Him. I heard about a story of two preachers that were going to preach, and as they came to a crossroads and they were going to go from that point in different directions, the one said to the other uh, that he prayed that the the, 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 the face of God might shine upon him as he preached the word of God. And he said, yes, I hope so. But if not, I'll brag on him behind his back. <laughs> and we ought to desire that God looks upon us and shines forth his glory every time we meet. But even when he doesn't, we ought to be all about bragging on Jesus. And uh, you might preach the gospel better than me, but you'll never preach a better gospel than me. Oh, he's worthy because he is preferred. His preferment in his preeminence. And then fourthly, we see he is preeminent not only in his person and not only in his prerogatives and his preferment, but also in his plentitude. 
His plenitude separates him from all others. The Bible says, and of his fullness, I like that word fullness, have all we received in grace for grace. The idea of that word grace there, it just means grace piled up upon grace. And he says this about it, and of his fullness, of his fullness. The idea of the word fullness there means never running out. I'm glad that because we have a God that is inexhaustible, there is grace upon grace. Now, that might not mean much to some of you, but that means a whole lot to me. That means whenever I have experienced pain in the ministry, pain in my marriage, pain with my children, pain, sorrow of any kind, God has grace for that moment. And when that grace seems to be waning and running out, he says, I've got more grace. And when that measure of grace seems to be waning and running out, he says, I've got more grace. And thank God the believer is never left without the company of grace in their life. That's something I find usually older Christians can appreciate more than younger Christians. They've been through some battles. I won't pretend to say that I've been through some of the battles that others. We've got a deacon and his wife who lost a son in an accident in the woods. He cut a tree. It got held up in another tree, and his son was walking under it as they were out logging, and it fell. And he's had to deal with that all of his life now for some 40 years. I can't even pretend to imagine what that feels like. I've never been through that. But I know I've seen in their life God's grace be sufficient. And I know that they were able by the grace of God to walk into that Sunday service the Sunday after that happened and still worship God. And if God can give them grace in that, he can give me grace for whatever I may face in this world. I can read of the martyrs and the Christians that gave their life for the cause of Christ. And I know if God has given them grace in that moment of need to stand strong and profess Christ, that he'll give me the grace to preach Christ, even if somebody's frowning at me. Thank God there's grace. Not only do we see here the presentation of this glory and the preeminence of this glory, but last and finally we see the purpose of this glory. Why, why, why does God let us behold his glory? Why does he reveal his glory to us? No man hath seen God at any time, and nor can we see God without his divine aid and assistance. God could have maintained his obscurity, and he could have been silent and maintained his, his invisible nature, and we would have never known him and gone on in our sin to hell, to suffer for all of eternity, and yet, God in His mercy has allowed us to behold the glory of the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. And it goes on and says, He hath declared Him. I like the word declared there. It means to unfold or to shine the light upon something. Here, Jesus Christ has come into this world for this reason. This is the purpose of His glory. It is to unfold and to shine the light upon who God is. We don't know God unless we know Christ tonight. And you won't know God absent from knowing Christ. And if you want to get to know God, you're going to have to come to get to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. But if you come to Christ, 
and you become acquainted with Him, you will be acquainted with God. The purpose is to reveal tonight. Christ declares the wisdom and the might of God. That God is the Creator. And I understand there is light in creation and there is light in conscience, but there is not the revealing light of the gospel in those two things. Christ came into the world to reveal to us what creation and what our conscience could not. Psalm 19, verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, there is no people group in the world that doesn't know there is a God. But where creation failed, Christ excelled. And now He declares, He reveals the Father in His love and mercy to the hearts of sinful men. And that's why we go to the nations and preach the gospel. Because they are accountable to God, but many of them have not heard the good news, the gospel of the grace of God. The purpose is to reveal. Number two, the purpose is to reprove. Christ declares the righteousness and the justice of God. Not only that He is Creator, but also that He is holy. Romans 3, 10 through 12, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We've all sinned. And Christ came to reveal and to reprove of that sin that you and I have. Thank God Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Not only does He reprove us of our sin, but He reveals to us in that reproof that He is our righteousness. And that if we will repent of our sin and believe the gospel, we can be justified by faith through Christ alone. I'm glad that God looks upon me and He sees His Son because when Christ hung on the cross, God looked upon Him and saw me and punished Him for my sin. The purpose is to reprove, to reveal, but then third, the purpose is to redeem. This is the purpose of God's glory. This is why we ought to pray that God would manifest His presence and His glory when we meet together. Because I am, and don't let me lose you here, but I am a whosoever gospel preacher. But I'm not a whensoever gospel preacher. And it only comes through the working and the power and the moving of the Spirit of God. Only He can quicken the hearts of dead men. Beloved, we need the power of the Holy Ghost and we need the ministry of the Holy Ghost in our midst as we meet together and as we preach Him to manifest Christ in our midst. The attributes of God why because without him nobody will be saved the purpose of God's glory is the purpose to redeem to declare the grace and truth of God and we beheld his glory and in that glory we see grace and truth the law came by Moses but grace and truth by Christ thank God that's the purpose of God's glory it is to save 
He doesn't just give us a, a, a measure of, it, of experiencing and knowing His glory so that we can have goosebumps the size of Easter eggs on the back of our neck and feel good about ourselves. But for us to know God in a more deep and a more intimate way. And then to go out into a lost and dying world and share Him with others. It's the purpose to redeem. Ephesians 1, 6 says that it is to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. He saves us. Why? To the glory of His grace. Ephesians 1, 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. You and I in heaven, we are going to resound praise to God for the glory, His attributes, His character that was revealed to us while we were on earth that brought us into a saving relationship and a fuller knowledge of who God is and will give Him praise and honor forever because of that. Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Behold His glory. And we will behold His glory throughout all of eternity. But beloved, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to behold that glory. Now we have the Spirit. We have the earnest of our inheritance. He comes into our heart crying, Abba, Father. He bears witness with our hearts that we are the sons of God. He brings us into that full relationship. He reveals to us who Christ is. He makes us to understand the Word of God. And by the Spirit, the ministry, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can behold His glory. May God help us in these days, in these services, through you men and through the preaching and the songs and the fellowship to behold His glory. Father, we thank You for the Word of God tonight. We ask You to take it and use it and minister to us and have Your perfect will and way in all that we say and do. And we'll thank You for it in Jesus' name.